That's why we're here, and that's why I'm inviting you to be a part of that as well. Uh, the situation in India is, is difficult for, for many people. Access to clean water, to health care, to uh, basic necessities of life is a, is a luxury for many. You could look all four different directions and you're going to see a different need everywhere. So I feel like when we came, we kind of Muslims who've yet to even hear who Jesus is. It is that same heartbeat. It doesn't really matter where you're at in the world. I mean, our objective and our goal as followers of Christ is, is the same. You know, it's to take on our communities, speak into the injustices. It's not often we partner with that so deeply understands the work that goes on here, but we know that you are walking that with us. It's just like a net that we can fall into and feel safe. And you guys are not just financial partners. I mean, you come here, you walk the streets with us, you, you've eaten the meals with us, you've lived the life with us. I mean, so I feel like it's more than just someone writing a check or giving an offering. You guys are with us heart and soul. You really are partners with us in the gospel. It's not just words that we're bringing to people. It's about the demonstration of the gospel. I mean, it's it's good news, not just for the hereafter. It's, it's good news for the here and now too. And there's forgiveness available for them. And, and that's the good news that's making a difference in this community. There are people all around the world that are lost and disconnected and they need Jesus Christ. And you and I can be a part of that. In fact, that's why we do Kingdom Builders. Kingdom Builders is your way, my way, to be able to generously give to projects all around the world that are transforming lives. And so my hope is that you'll be generous and become a Kingdom Builder this year so that we can see lives being changed all around the world. so glad to have you guys be a part of services. Uh, as we're joining, as we're getting ready to start service, um, you can see that, that those are already here in the room and we're going to be getting ready. Uh, we would love to connect with you. Just take a look Just grab the connection card in front hi. of you, um, fill it out, or simply text the word Life Church to 97000.
Don't miss it. Be ready for it. And let's just come expecting for God to speak something to us today. I think we say that a lot, but we want to adjust our perspective. We may have had a crazy morning, but we're going to say, God, I'm ready for whatever you have for me today. Well, good morning. Will you stand with me? Welcome to Life Church. Let's worship Jesus. He's risen. He's alive and well. Risen. He's risen. Forever glorified. Risen. He's risen. King Jesus. King Jesus is alive.
Let the King of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from. Oh, He is my song. Let the King of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life. Oh, He is my. You are good. You are good, good. Oh, 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 morning. You know, I've had to sing, you are good, you are good. 
this over and over several times this week. It seems like uh, for me, I've had more, more heavier weeks than not lately. You know, with COVID-19, with, the, with racial injustice that we see, with uh, the storm that we just had. I mean, if I could just be honest, I am grieved. Uh, Chadwick Boseman, the Black Panther, I'm just grieved that he lost his life a couple nights ago. Um, I'm not a huge, like, superhero guy, but I love the movie. I loved, I loved the character he portrayed. And I also know that um, for the black community, like, he was, he was kind of this beacon of hope. And so we have lost someone uh, that has just made a mark on many lives. And it just, like, seems like it just kind of compiles and packs on. And so when I have weeks like this where... I feel really heavy. I tend to just go to the Psalms. And I read a Psalm, Psalm 19, that I want to encourage you with. It says this. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has sent a tent, set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course for, with joy. You know, I read this psalm and I'm reminded, you know, that Jesus spun the world in such a way that he made the sun rise for us this morning. And not only that, when we see the rising sun, this psalm reminds us that we should be encouraged because we are reminded that there is a bridegroom. Jesus is the bridegroom leaving his chambers in search for us so we can be encouraged that he is faithful and that he is returning. And so I just want to encourage you when you have those heavy moments and, and there's really nothing we can do but to maybe just look at the sun and be reminded of his love. So maybe when you leave, after church, just look up to the sun if you're feeling weighty this afternoon. And just be reminded of the faithfulness of the never-ending love of God. Because the truth is, it's, darkness may creep into our world. But uh, Jesus promises that he will never leave us or forsake us. He will continue to allow the sun to rise every morning. You guys believe that? Well, let's sing about that. the 
So, Heavenly Father, so, Lord, we just, we look to you. We look to you for our hope. Lord, we look to you for, Lord, Lord, to, be, to carry the weight. We feel the need to, to shoulder it. We feel the need to be strong. So, Lord, right now, we give everything and we give everyone to you. Lord, we put you in control, recognizing that, that you're the God that, that hung every star in the sky. That we, you called us a work of art, Lord, that you, you made every decision, Lord. And so right now, Lord, we give it to you and recognize that there's hope found in you, that there's hope found in, in a God who hasn't left us, there's hope found in a God who hasn't, who hasn't abandoned us. So we, we look to things like the sky, we look to things like the sun, and, and, and we say that you're where our help comes from, that you're the one who's working, you're the one who's doing, and there's nothing that you can't redeem. So right now, God, do something in our hearts. Encourage us. Lift us up. And Lord, I ask that you would do something. Speak something to us today. Let us leave this place. Let us leave watching our screens today different than the way we started. We love you, and we thank you, and we thank you. Come on, and everybody said, come on, everybody said, amen. Come on, let's just celebrate just a little bit. I mean, sometimes you just got to take a moment to just like celebrate a little bit. Man, it's a great day to be at church, so why don't you go ahead and do this? I want you to go ahead and look around the room, find somebody maybe across the aisle, and tell them, hey, you really make that mask look good. Tell, tell them how great they look in the mask. I know what a lot of you were thinking. You put the mask on this morning, and you looked in the mirror, and you said, man, I don't know if this one's working for me today, and it is. You look great. You need, maybe just needed to hear it from somebody else. 
Well, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, we're so glad that we get to spend Sundays with you. My name is Jairus. I'm one of the pastors here at Life Church, and um, on behalf of all of us that are here, we just wanted to welcome you. Uh, maybe today is your first time being here, and uh, we hope that you made it in, found your found your way. And um, even if, if you're joining online for the very first time, thank you so much for doing so. And uh, one of the things is that we'd love to connect with you. Uh, we'd love to, to to get to know you a little better. To, to to get you connected to what's going on here. And so the best way for that to happen, if it's your first time, is to text Life Church to 97000. It's just, uh, it, you text that and then you have an opportunity to, to fill out your information, as well as there's those connection cards in the front of your seat. And those connection cards, uh, you can fill it out. If, if you do, uh, grab that pen. It's a free gift to us, uh, from us. From us to you to us whatever you got it you know what I'm saying right and so you're gonna so you can take that and then take that pen or that card to the welcome center and then they'll give you a free gift there uh, but once again thank you so much for being here there's a couple things that I wanted you to uh, dates that I wanted you to, to mark your calendars for and to remember and the first one is October 3rd October 3rd we're gonna be having our women's conference everybody makes a noise for that yeah it's gonna be an awesome one um, if you haven't been, uh, I, I really want to encourage you to come. Fellas, sorry, you're not, you're not, not for you. But, uh, ladies, if you haven't been, this is a, a, a must-come-to conference. Uh, just This is what I believe. I believe that we find our hope in Jesus, right? And sometimes we need people in our lives who will remind us uh, that that's where we find our hope. And so, ladies, if you haven't already, uh, go ahead and sign up for this. And actually, the, one of the big pieces today specifically is that the early bird registration ends tomorrow. And I know that what you're thinking is, Jairus, yeah, so uh, early bird registration ends, you know, is it, what, what's the value in, in, in registering by tomorrow? And, and I would say $10, and, um, and that, that's a pretty great value because when I thought about $10 this morning, I thought the first thought that popped into my head was an appetizer, okay? I don't know if you're like me and you go to a restaurant and you think, man, I just want to live a little. We're going to get wings. Everybody, everybody, we're getting wings. Bring extra ranch, right? That's how I feel when I think about it. So uh, consider it a gift to yourself. Register now and go get an appetizer on yourself, okay? So, not, But uh, seriously, uh, I mean, I encourage you to register now. Get ahead uh, and do that. Uh, and then the second thing I wanted to, to, to just remind you about is two weeks from today, our Cedar Rapids campus is launching uh, at, at the Double Tree Convention Center in Cedar Rapids. Come on, yeah, you can celebrate that. This has been a crazy year, but, but it's coming. It's two weeks away. I have like, it's, every time I say it, I, I feel like those like nervous butterfly feelings because um, this has been a long time. This is God's faithfulness in, in, a, in a year of him just planning and preparing for this. And what I'd like to say is this, is I would encourage you, if you know somebody in Cedar Rapids or even if you live in Cedar Rapids, to join us on September 13th, uh, but also continue to pray for us. Uh, continue to pray that as we take steps of faith, uh, as, we, as we show up this evening, actually, we're going to show up this evening and set everything up for the first time and get kind of a, a practice run through stuff. Just be praying uh, for, for technical difficulties to be at a minimum, right? Be praying that, that as we take this venture of faith, uh, that um, God is just really going to be faithful. He's, I mean, we know he's going to be, but, but he would move in a very powerful way. Um, and so we're very excited about that. Well, right now we're going to go ahead and receive uh, our offering. And normally what we would do is we'd pass the, the baskets and we're not going to do that. We're going to go, we're going to try and make this as touchless as possible. So if you have um, something that you brought with you, you can put it in an envelope uh, in the front of the seat and take it to one of the black boxes. Or you can give online. That's what uh, Abby and I do. Um, but this is what I would encourage you with today. Uh, for a long time in my life, I think I've wrestled with the idea that I, I saw giving, uh, the giving portion at, at church as, as charity. 
I, I saw it as good things come from this. Um, and so, you know, if, if, if I'm feeling good, if I've got extra, I should give to that. And, and actually, you know, one of the things that was helpful for me since the time we've been here at Life Church is this idea that we're a church that's on mission. Meaning that we're staying focused with what our mission is. We're staying focused with what, what the idea is. And the, and the idea that, you know, we're creating an atmosphere where people can become fully devoted followers of Jesus. So the way that happens is that as we give, that we're supporting missionaries all around the world. That as we give, we're seeing, we're able to meet needs in our own community. That as we, as we, as we say yes to tithing, we begin to trust God in a way that we never have before, and he's doing something in us. And I wanted to draw your attention to really part of where this comes from, this idea of living on mission, being a church on mission, and it's from Matthew 25. Uh, this is known as the great compassion. It says, For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, you invited me into your home, and I was naked, you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was a prison and you visited me. And, and here's the thing, is that we take this, this idea, that, that this compassion that Jesus challenges us to, and says, hey, how can we meet the needs of those around us? How can we be there for those in, in their times of need? And... Um, you know, I want to show you a video from last Sunday. As last Sunday, we were in Cedar Rapids for our Storm Relief Sunday. And um, we started a Storm Relief Fund several weeks ago, uh, asking people if they would give to that. And $25,000 were raised over the last several weeks. Come on, can we celebrate that? $25,000 were raised. And because of what you, you said yes to, um, I just want to show you this video of what we were able to do uh, this last weekend. take this off. I guess I sh- this will be hard to preach with this on. <laughs> How's everybody doing? You know what? I, I watched that video and, you know, obviously we were there uh, last Sunday. And for those of you who not, were not aware, we actually ended up canceling our Sunday morning service and just invited people to, to come from Life Church to help serve in, in Cedar Rapids. And I was blown away. Uh, thank you. Uh, Josh, I was blown away by the response of those of you that decided to come out and, and, and be a part of that. You are incredible, and I tell you what, I love, love, love this church. And when I say this church, I'm not talking about this building or all those, you know, the plastic covered seats <laughs> or anything like that. I'm talking about you as a people. You are fantastic. Um, and it's in moments like these that your heart is revealed. 
that you're not just going to church, which is what oftentimes happens. You're not just going to church, but you're being the church. And that's exactly what the gospel calls us to, right? It calls us to a life transformation that begins to inform every area of our lives, every area of our lives. It's not just about morality, but it begins to speak into us about our worldview and about the way we see the world, about our, the stuff that we possess and we own, Right? And so two weeks ago, we said, hey, you know what? There's a, been a terrible storm in Cedar Rapids. We need to do something about that. You know, the best we could do at that moment was go ahead and set up a relief fund. And within a couple of weeks, you gave $25,000 to that. $25,000 to that. That blows me away. And it's, it's this idea that Jesus has so touched your life that he speaks to you about your stuff, even the things you possess and you own. And you decide to sacrifice and give to that. And then Sunday when, when uh, we made that audible call on, on a staff meeting to go ahead and cancel church services and instead uh, mobilize up in Cedar Rapids, I was just, again, blown away. You saw the video with a number of people that were, that were there present. And there was a few extra people there, some homeless People right there at Green Square Park in Cedar Rapids, and it was really cool to, to work, actually to, to, to work alongside them. Some of them actually volunteered and began to serve a little bit, you know. They all got t-shirts. We all get, they all, so right now, if you ever hang out in Green Square Park, you may find one or two homeless people that are wearing a Love the 319 t-shirt. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. It's really cool. Free advertising for Cedar Rapids. But uh, it was a fantastic, fantastic uh, Experience. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being the church. Thank you for being a church that, that, that engages when your community is in need. Thank you for being a generous church. Thank you for those of you that are, were just busting it out, working, clearing up, you know, properties and all. I mean, just so much. So thank you so much. All right. Well, I'm going to continue on in our series. We started a series that kind of got interrupted last week, uh, a series called Aliens. And uh, in this series, we've been talking about how in a, in a world where increasingly um, the Christian message, the, uh, our, our Christian faith is being challenged and marginalized and pushed to the edges. In a world like that, how do we as followers of Jesus Christ respond to that? How do we, how do we respond to this? If you've lived, you know, if you live 40 years or more, you have, I haven't, I'm so, those of you that have, uh, just kidding, <laughs> but if you've lived 40 years or more, or in, and even not so, not that long, you have seen increasingly how culture has been shifting and how what is our faith is being pushed and pushed and pushed into the margins, right? We've seen that, we've experienced it, you, you know what it's like, and so what we're doing is we're, at, we're trying to answer the question, how do we respond? How do we as a church respond to what seems like this marginalization that's happening, right? How do we do that? Well, last week we, we kind of started with, talked about the five, uh, or two weeks ago, started about the, the five stages of religious persecution, how that happens. And I'm not going to go into detail, but here's the five. It starts with stereotyping. Basically, you say, oh yeah, all Christians, they're all like that. They all do this. They all feel that way, right? So it starts with stereotyping, then it moves to vilifying. Well, if they all do this and then they're not, you know, there's something wrong with that, you know, and we, we, we assign morality or, a, or some kind of evil intent of why they, 
might feel that way and we've already stereotyped them as all doing it and then we say, and this is why it's bad and so we kind of assign some kind of morality to it so we vilify them. And then we marginalize them. That's when we begin to push them to the edges of society and so what we do essentially is if, if, uh, if they're all this way and there's something wrong, inherently wrong with humanity regarding how they feel and view things, you know, then certainly they should not have a voice in the, in the public square. And so we need to kind of push them to the edges so we marginalize them. That eventually turns into criminalizing it. So, so now it's illegal to do certain things as a follower of Jesus Christ. And then eventually ends up being persecution where there's outright persecution. And we live in a world where stage five persecution does happen. And places like in China, there are Christians right now that because they are Christians, their lives are in danger. I know people personally in Bangladesh that that has been their experience that because they are Christians, their life is in danger. They may lose their life for being Christian. Now, that's not what we experience here in the West. That's not what you're experiencing at your workplace necessarily. But what we are experiencing here in the West is what we would call marginalization, right? And so essentially what it means is that... Uh, Christianity is okay, just do it in your buildings, all right? It doesn't belong in the workplace. It doesn't belong in, in the academic arenas. It doesn't belong at universities or, or, or high schools or any of that kind of stuff. And, and that's what we're experiencing in the world that we live in today, right? And so uh, just a few years ago, a graduate student in the University of uh, UCLA in California, she, she had finished her her, her academic career, and she was excited about it, and she's a follower of Jesus Christ. And in her speech, her graduation speech, she wanted to say, I want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for helping me through this whole process. Of, and, and she was expressly, explicitly forbidden to use that language in her graduation speech. That's called marginalization, okay? Uh, even here in Iowa City and in other campuses around the United States, you find that campus ministries are being told they cannot charter as a student org because, uh, because, of, their, because of their doctrines. And oftentimes in their charter, it's required that if you're a, an officer in the organization, you have to abide or believe or embrace the beliefs of the, of the student organization. And... Universities have deemed that as a little bit too narrow, and so they're saying, well, you can't be a student organization here if you do not allow others who do not believe that. So that's, that's happening in the world that we live in today. There's a lot of examples of marginalization of Christianity in our society. And so the question for us then is, how do we respond to that? Now, I'm just going to tell you right, right now, this is a, um, if you're visiting Life Church for the very first time, just, I want you to know um, what we're doing right t today is we're just having a family discussion. It's like dad, and don't, don't you call me dad, but it's like dad saying, hey, let's we gotta sit down, and we have, a, have to have, have a conversation about you know, something here, and it's important. I just want you guys to, to understand where we're coming from on this. And that's really what we're doing today, okay, is we're having a family, a family discussion about what do we do, how do we respond when it feels like when it feels like the culture that we live in is increasingly becoming hostile towards our faith and towards Christianity, right? So we started a couple of weeks ago out of 1 Peter. The Apostle Peter is writing a letter to Christians during the time of an emperor by the name of Nero. These Christians have experienced incredible amounts of persecution. 
Nero, in fact, has burned, he, he, you go back in history, you'll find, you, you might have read it in your history books, he burnt part of the city of Rome down because he wanted a new city. He wanted a, a nicer, more modern city. So he burnt part of the city down. Interestingly, none of his, his estates or any of his friends' estates got damaged by the fire. But a lot of the city got damaged by the fire. And when the people revolted against him rebuilding the city, he blamed Christians for the fire in Rome. And that started this intense time of persecution against Christians. During this time, Christians would be, just a couple examples, they would take, if you were a professed Christian, you would not deny your faith, they would take you and they would wrap you, they'd take an animal carcass and they would sew you in, inside of an animal carcass and they would put you out there in the woods and they would have wild dogs or dog, hunting dogs go out and try to, you know, chase you down. Nero took Christians and he dipped them in wax and then he would hang them and burn them, set them on fire so they could, he could, uh, they could you know, light his gardens. This is the kind of persecution they're, they're experiencing. In fact, 1 Peter the, is written by the apostle Peter. Peter himself was crucified by Nero. Tradition says that, that when he was being crucified, Peter said, I can't die the same way that my Lord and Savior died, so please crucify me upside down. And so tradition says that Peter was crucified upside down, and the person who crucified him, or the leader that was in, at time, was this person by the name of Nero. So this is what's going on, and Peter's writing to these Christians, trying to help them because they're experiencing an incredible amount of persecution. He's trying to help them. How do you respond? When this is happening to you, how do you respond? Now, from my experience, I think we respond in a couple of different ways, typically. Neither way is actually biblical. Neither way is actually the, the right way to, to respond. So, uh, from what I've seen, oftentimes the way we respond to persecution or marginalization or whatever is we appease, Right? We kind of go with the flow. We give up. We give in. We don't want to upset anybody. You know, we have values and beliefs, but because our values and beliefs aren't the same as the wider society's value and beliefs, we, we change our values and beliefs to adapt. We, uh, we kind of take in what they, what's believed. We don't want to upset anybody. We, we don't want to, so we appease it, you know, and we let it go. Another way that we often respond is that we attack. Some people look at, this as kind of going to war. It's like, it's like I'm going to go to war with my, my, like you look at your neighborhood, you say, this, my neighborhood, this is not my neighborhood, this is my battlefield, right? And so you're going to get that lawn yard, that yard ornament thing that has the Ten Commandments on it. You're going to post it right there in your, in your yard and you're going to sit at the window watching for that neighbor of yours that has a little Darwin sticker on his bumper, and you're going to watch him go drive by and see if he sees your yard ornament that says, you know, thou shalt not commit adultery or whatever, you know. And you're going to, and you're going to hope to, that he's going to stop and look at it enough to then you can have a conversation with that person. You're going to attack. You're going to be antagonistic. And so oftentimes these are the ways that we respond to this feeling of being marginalized in our society. We either appease or we attack. Neither of these approaches are actually biblical. And so Peter, what he's going to do, he's going to help us. Uh, he's going to give us a strategy on what we should do. So last week we learned that this world that we're in is not our home. That's why we're called aliens. That's why the Bible uses, in 1 Peter, uses the word translated aliens for us. That we're just passing through. 
that as we're passing through, because, if we, because we have this knowledge of who we are in Christ, because we have this knowledge of that, as we're passing through, we should be people who are full of joy and glad. Because this is not our home. This is not our final resting place. This is not the place that we're going to stay forever. So we should have gladness and joy as we're going through this world that's shifting so much. I mean, it's this very thing that, that Peter's talking about that made Christianity so explosive in the first and second century. I mean, Christianity exploded. It grew exponentially from the time Christ was crucified all the way to 300 A.D., and yet it was the most intense time of persecution. It was during this time that, that the, the, the Roman, uh, the, the Roman um, games were played in the arena. And they would, they would get Christians in there, bring them in, and these Christians would be, would be devoured by lions and by, by what, these animals. And so as they're being paraded in, you know what they were doing? They weren't, they weren't, these Christians that were being paraded, they weren't saying, we need a new emperor. Let's get rid of this emperor Nero. That, that's not what they were doing. They weren't saying, hey, my congressman stinks. I'm going to find another one. They weren't saying the policies of Rome are wrong. That's not what they're doing at all. As they were being paraded into the arena, this is what they were doing. They were singing songs of worship to their God. They recognized that this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. I'm just passing through. So they were worshiping their God. And so what do you do with that? You see their joy, their gladness, what it did is it gave them credibility. It made their message credible. They, they were teaching that there was this Messiah who was crucified and raised back to life again, and that this Messiah gives us a, a kind of life that allows us to be able to walk through the, some of the most difficult circumstances in life and do it with joy and gladness. That this Messiah can actually, by his power, our bodies can be physically healed. And we can find peace and hope in a world that seems that it's lost its hope and it's lost its peace. And so as they were walking in, singing songs of worship, people were saying, hmm, I wonder if what they believe is actually true. Because that's not normal behavior. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, Peter then picks up, okay, so they, they have this gladness, they have this joy, Peter has already told them, this is who you are, you're aliens. That's who you are, you're aliens, you're just passing through. And since you're just passing through, be joyful, be glad, right? Verse 13 says, therefore, okay, so this is a transition word. So if that's true, that therefore, this is what you should do. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober. In other words, you're not naive to the stuff that you're going through right now. Not, you're not like your head's not buried in the sand. You're not like pretending like none of this stuff is actually happening. You're aware. With minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. So Peter challenges them to be alert, to be aware. Because why? Because Jesus Christ is coming back. Jesus Christ is coming back, and that gives us hope. 
We have hope because of Christ's return. Then verse 14 says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. He uses the word conform here, this word right here, conform, which is the idea of a mold. Okay, you know what a mold is, right? You make a bunt cake. I've never made a bunt cake. I used to to call it butt cake. I know, I remember that, calling it a butt cake. I didn't, because I didn't know it was bunt cake. That's a mold, right? And so Peter's using this idea of a mold, and he's saying, listen, don't be molded to the world around you. Don't allow yourself to see, I mean, everything's going on around you. All this stuff is happening. People are saying this, people are saying that. People are embracing this and embracing that. Just because that's true, don't allow yourself to be molded to that. To be sucked into it. Because that's not who you are. He goes on, you are children of God. You're waiting in the return of Christ. And because of that, don't confirm. Don't conform. Don't be molded. He goes on, verse 15. But just as he who called you is holy, uses that word holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. So Peter basically says, okay, there's this mold out there. He says, don't, don't get conformed to that stuff. Instead, here's a mold that you, should, that you should embrace, and that's the holiness of God. See, the holiness of God never changes. It never, it never morphs. It, just, it never is different. It never doesn't get amended. It doesn't get changed. That's what you should allow yourself to be molded into is the holiness of God. The word holiness actually means to be set apart. It, it carries with it this, this word. This, it, it's about distinctiveness. So when you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're distinct. You're distinct. You don't fit here. You don't fit there. You're, just, you're distinct. Now, it's hard for us because none of us like to be on the outside. Right? How many of you here like to be an outsider? How many of you here like to go to pick up basketball and not get picked? That's my story, right? Like, well, I, you know, I, I go out standing there. I'm ready to play, and everybody, all the teams get picked. And I'm just standing there. Okay, I'll take the next game. You know, that's what I say. And then they change the rules. It's like, yeah, no, that's the winner, winner plays and, you know, whatever. And so, I, anyways, it's like, you know, it's one of those things. That we don't like being on the outside. We don't like being distinct. And yet that's exactly, that's exactly what Peter's telling him. Hey, you, you, you're to be distinct. It's hard to live a holy life. I read an article a few years back um, about emojis. Here's the title of the article. Um, Finally, a redhead emoji has been released. So evidently, there was an issue out there in the ginger community about not being represented in the emoji world, okay? Of the 700 plus emojis, there was no redheaded emojis, and that's not good. And it was so, it was so, it was just such an assault that they launched this campaign and they got 20,000 signatures to get redheaded emojis. And I hear some of you, you're laughing about this because it's like, it's so silly. It's so silly that people would care about emojis that are redhead or not redhead and all that. And probably you're laughing because you're not a redhead. Because if you were a redhead, you'd be like, it's right. 
I've been left out. I've been left out a lot. And that's the point here, right? Peter's like, listen, you're going to be called increasingly to live a holy life, to be distinct, to be set apart. And it's going to be hard for you, and I just want you to know that it's going to be difficult to live a holy life. You're going to feel challenged in the world that you're living in. And she kind of sets the stage by letting us know that to be a follower of Jesus Christ is about making some choices along the way that are not easy choices. Especially in the wider culture that we live in. It becomes very difficult to make these choices. And yet, that's who we're called to. And he gives us some rationale for that, you know. So in chapter 2, he kind of gives us a little more detail of what it means to live a holy life. Verse 1, he says, Therefore, rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. Okay, so I wish I could st- stop here and spend some time on the specifics of those words. I want you to see very clearly, though, that the stuff that he's talking about here are things that proceed from the heart. Okay, he doesn't go and say, he doesn't give you a list that says, dress this way, act this way. No, that's not what he does. He gives you a list of things that come from the heart. Deceit, slander, envy. Take care of those things, he says, okay? Rid yourself of those things. I like how the message version translates this, this word uh, to, to, to rid, rid yourself of all malice. He uses the word, uh, this word right here, rid yourself of all malice. It says, clean your house. Clean your, okay, didn't say, Peter didn't say, hey, Rich, when you get a chance, clean Jairus' house of all malice and envy and all that. It doesn't, that's not what it's saying. It says, clean your house. And it's so easy for us when we talk about holiness, when we talk about living right and all that, is to point to everybody else that needs to live right. It's to somehow or another create an entire entire teaching model. It's about pointing other people's things out. And really what Peter's saying is you need to clean your house and then he gives us this list of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, slander, envy. It's not an exhaustive list, but it's, it's a starting point, right? So what Peter's doing is he's defining holiness first by what are the things that we need to get rid of. And he focuses it on the heart. But then he continues to define holiness. In verse 3, he says, Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So first he says, get rid of a few things in your life. This is holiness. Get rid of a few things. But also he says that here are some things that you should crave, okay? So holiness then is, is not just what you get rid of, but it's the things that you chase after as well. That's what holiness is. And that's what Peter's trying to tell, talk to these Christians about. Is how are you going to respond in a world that seems increasingly hostile towards you? First of all, live a holy life. And what do you do by living, living a holy life? You, you get rid of a few things. You clean your house and then chase after God. Chase after a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's living a holy life, right? Now what's important for us and our purposes today is who's Peter talking to here? Peter is not having a conversation with uh, Roman pagans. He's talking to the church. He's talking to you and me. He's not trying to tell, he's not, you know, calling out Roman culture. 
He's not trying to say all the stuff, the terrible things that Romans do are terrible and you guys need to stop doing that. That's not what he's doing. He's calling Christians out, right? And I really believe that this is the answer on how we should respond as Christ followers. It's that we, we start with us. We live in a hostile culture. We live in a, in a culture where it seems like Christianity is being pushed to the margins. We start with, am I living a holy life, Right? In fact, I don't see anywhere where Peter or Paul or any of them says to non-Christians, you need to live like Christians. Doesn't do that. What I see clearly is oftentimes Peter and Paul speaking to the church and say, hey, you say you're Christian. Start living up to that. Clean, your, clean up your own house. That's what Peter's telling us. Now, it's easy for us to look at others and try to clean others, but really, Peter's talking about us, all right? I remember uh, several years, maybe six years ago, whatever, my daughter, she had just got her, my daughter Caitlin, had just gotten her, um, her school permit to drive. And, you know, I was a nervous wreck as a dad. <laughs> I'm like, every time she grabbed those keys, I'm like, no, don't drive, you know, worried about that, and... But if you know Caitlin, she was determined. She was going to do it no matter what, you know. And so uh, she, was on her, she wanted to go to a football game. We wanted to go to this football game, CCA football game. And so, uh, but she wanted to drive. I said, just ride with us. You know, like it's really cool to ride with your parents to football games, right? You should just ride with us. And she didn't want to have anything to do with that. So, uh, so she wanted to drive her own car. I said, okay, you can drive your own car, but we're going we're gonna to follow you, right? So we're following her in our neighborhood, 25 miles in our neighborhood. And she takes this corner. And I mean, she was going so fast, the car was on two wheels. And we really, not literally, but it looked like that. <laughs> like she was going so fast around that corner. And I just got real upset. I'm, Christy's sitting next to me. I'm like, I can't believe she's driving so fast. And then I pulled my cell phone out to text her to say, stop driving so fast. Slow down, you know. And then Christy goes, okay, so you are going to text and drive to tell your daughter, your daughter, that she doesn't know how to drive very well, that she needs to drive better. And how credible is that? It's not very credible at all. So that's, and I think that that's what we do, is we, we text and drive, and we try to tell other people how they should live. But we see it over and over again in the New Testament. that The apostles, they call us out. They're not calling the world, they're calling us out to live holy and distinct lives. So our first response is that we need to clean our own house. Now, Peter then starts talking to them about being God's chosen people. In verse 9, he says, but you are the chosen ones, you are the ones chosen by God. And I'm using the message version here. Uh, the translation is actually really good, but it gives it a little bit more contemporary language. Notice what he says. But you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him. Okay, he uses the word speak out for him. And that's exactly the problem, right? Rich, you just, you just told us don't appease. In other words, don't give in. But then you also told us not to attack. So how do we speak out for him? How do we do that? He explains it in verse 10. Tell others, this is how we speak out. Tell others of the night and day difference he made for you. 
Tell others of the night and day difference he made for you. From nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. Tell others of what Jesus has done in you. That's what Peter's saying. Not you're wrong and I'm right, but rather, hey, we're all in this together, but let me just tell you what, what's happened in my life. Let me show you what's gone on in my life. We become humble. We're vulnerable. We speak, we speak of the night and day difference that God has made, up in, made in our lives. We talk about how, how, his, how having a relationship with Jesus Christ has changed our marriage. I mean, I was a selfish person, and she was selfish, but you know what? Jesus came into our life, and it transformed our marriage. You know, I was a parent. I'm not a very good parent. I'm selfish, and I, I make bonehead decisions, and I get angry too easily at little kids when they're just acting like kids. I get angry too easily. But Jesus has come into my life, and he's transformed my life. Night and day difference. That's what Peter's talking about. This is how we tell others, is that we demonstrate it through having an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, and it changes us. Verse 11 says, friends, this world is not your home, so don't make yourselves cozy in it. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your own soul. He kind of reminds them that they're aliens, that they're just passing through, right? He goes on, verse 12, live an exemplary life among the natives. Again, I love this. This is the message version, but I love the language, and it's actually a very accurate translation but he says, live an exemplary life among the natives. And he uses the word natives as people who live here. Like, you know, you ever see the Iowa, Iowa natives, you know, T-shirt? Everybody's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, you're native. You're from Iowa. If you're native, you're from Iowa, right? Well, Peter's saying, he says, and don't, when you live your life, live it as a, live your, an exemplary life among the natives. Because why? You are an alien. You're just passing through. This is not your home. So live a life that's an example of what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus Christ so that your actions will refute their prejudices. So that if they have decided to marginalize you, marginalize you or stereotype you or whatever, your actions, the way you live, will prove them wrong. That that's not really what, it's tr what is truth, Right? Then they will be won over to God's side and be there to join in the celebration when he, when he arrives. Basically, Peter's telling them the most effective approach to engage our culture is to live our lives in such a way that we are examples of what it looks like to have a healthy marriage. We are examples of what it looks like to have good, healthy parenting skills and boundaries of what it looks like to be a person who knows how to manage their money well, of what it looks like to actually have an intimacy with God that doesn't allow the things of this world to shake you. That's what he's talking about here. And so, as the world becomes increasingly hostile, the church, as the world becomes increasingly, as you in your daily work environment might find hostility towards your faith or or maybe you, you, policies at work don't allow you to have expression of your faith, whatever it might be, as the world becomes increasingly hostile, the church must become increasingly holy. That's Peter's message. You see, revival is not going to happen 
Revival is not going to happen by demanding that non-Christians act like Christians. That's not how it's going to happen. They're not believers. They're not followers of Jesus. They have no reason to act like a Christian because they're not Christians, right? It's not going to happen by making it illegal to sin. Revival is going to happen when Christians start living like Christians. That we've taken on the name of Jesus Christ upon our lives and the way we live demonstrates that we have taken on the name of Jesus Christ upon our lives. That's when revival is going to happen in our lives. And that's when we're going to have an opportunity to actually talk about the night and day difference that Jesus has made. So how do we live a humble and holy life in a world that, again, increasingly is hostile towards, towards me and the values that I hold. One of the main themes of 1 Peter is this theme of hope. He uses the word living hope, right? That we can look at our current struggles through the lens of hope. That we can look at, for example, the COVID-19 or the COVID pandemic and look at it through the lens of hope. And instead of letting COVID turn your world upside down and, 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 you're, and you're hopeless and, and you have no reason to live anymore and I don't know if they, and you know, just everything's very, very much pessimistic, actually because you have this living hope inside of you. Yeah, you know, you wear a mask, you do those things, but you're, you're not hopeless. You're not hopeless because Jesus is our living hope, Right? Or maybe it's the racial injustice that we've seen, like we've just seen so much more of it lately and it, it reminds us of our very evil past and we don't like that trigger being pushed. We don't like that thing being pricked in our heart and it bugs us and it irritates us and we don't like it. Instead of that turning into all kinds of, you know, venom and whatever else, we just, God, we have a living hope. I haven't lost my hope. When I was a... Uh, when I was in seminary, I had to read a book by uh, a guy named Viktor Frankl. Uh, the title of the book was called Man's Search for Meaning. He was a, I have a, yeah, he was a Jewish-Austrian uh, psychiatrist who lived during, you know, during World War II and uh, was arrested um, and then sent to a concentration camp because he was Jewish, obviously, sent to a concentration camp. And uh, he went to several concentration camps, but he ended up in Auschwitz. Um, and the stuff that he faced, the things that he endured would be similar to what Peter is, to, to the audience that Peter was talking to, the things that they were facing, the things that they were enduring. Here's what Viktor Frankl says about his experience or a big snippet of his experience. He says, they stripped me naked. They took all of his clothes. They took everything, my wedding ring and my watch. Now, when, when you're naked... You know, to really take everything from you, you'd have to take this too. Wedding ring. So this is saying something. It's saying that you are nothing. You are less than human right now. Okay? This is his experience. <clears throat> my wedding ring, my watch. I stood there naked and all of a sudden I realized, this is Frankel talking, all of a sudden I realized at that moment that although they could take everything away from me, my wife, my family, my possessions, they could not take away my freedom of how I was going to respond. He calls this, he calls this the last of human freedoms. That when everything has been taken, when you have no freedom at all, you still have the ability to respond in a certain way. 
And what I'm appealing to you today is, as a follower of Jesus Christ, there is a way to respond. How you respond. Auschwitz, that concentration camp, it destroyed many emotionally and psychologically way before their bodies were destroyed. Their dignity was taken away. Everything was stripped from them. They lost complete hope. Frankel says that those who overcame were able to do so. You know, they went through torture. They went through humiliation. They went through so much. Those who overcame were able to do so because they had a fixed reference point beyond the camp. They were in this camp where everything was reminding reminding them of how bad life is, how bad the world is, how bad everything is. And the only way, those who survived the camp, he says the only way they survived the camp was because they were looking outside of the camp. They had a fixed reference point outside of the camp. Some of them would think about family that they had somewhere that was safe, and that was their thought process. They would think about their family that was safe and was secure, and that allowed them to say, I'm going to survive this camp because I have that fixed reference point of my family that's out there safe. I think Peter's... That's what Peter's doing here for these Christians that are suffering, that are being persecuted, that are hurting, that are dying, literally. He's telling them, hey, there is something that you can fix your your attention on. You look outside of the camp. You don't have to put your hope in the things of this world. You don't have to put your hope in things returning back to normal. You don't have to think that maybe you know, one day, you know, we, we'll talk about COVID-19 like it was just no big deal and we'll just be doing everything. It may not ever get back to that. But we do have a fixed reference point that we can set our attention on. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and the fact that we have an eternity that we can spend with him. And that's what Peter's challenging them on. <clears throat> that we have a living, a living hope. A hope that won't spoil. It's not going to diminish. It's, going to kept, it's kept secure for us. It can't be voted out by popular opinion or, or, or overturned by like a split decision. It cannot be robbed by some new ruling. Our hope is alive. Our hope is Jesus Christ. And as long as you have that relationship with Jesus Christ, you can make it outside of this camp. Amen? And so when we look at our struggles through the lens of hope, it gives us strength. It gives us courage, right? We can have joy even though there's nothing to be joyful around. We live these distinct lives. What happens when we have this hope is that we can live humbly in the culture that we're living in. That when everybody's saying, it's burning, it's all coming down, we're like, it's okay, we're gonna make it. You have the ability to to walk through the fire. So we live holy and we live humbly. This is what we do. This is who we are. So now when you feel challenged in the world that you're living in, you're struggling with a neighbor, you're struggling with a coworker that doesn't see the world the way you see the world, you don't need to appease them and basically give in to whatever they believe. You also don't need to, to you know, become antagonistic and basically challenge everything they believe. Just live your life and demonstrate. Live an exemplary life and demonstrate the night and day difference between when you used to be without Christ and now that you are with Christ. 
and how it's changed your life. Amen. Let's all stand. You know, as I said at the beginning, this is kind of more of a family conversation, and I don't mean that to be exclusive. I'm not trying to say, oh, you're not a part of the family. You shouldn't be here. <laughs> not at all. In fact, if you're, if you're just visiting, I'm glad you're here. Um, but also, I want to challenge you, if you're here and you've never really given your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, those of you watching online, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, um, that's the starting point. That's hopefully what you get when you see Christians, true Christians living out exemplary lives is that, hey, I want a relationship with Jesus Christ like he has a relationship with Jesus Christ, like she has a relationship with Jesus. I want my family dynamics to be like their family dynamics, and they say that the reason their family dynamics are that way is because of their relationship with Jesus Christ. I want this sense of peace in my life like that person has a sense of peace in his life, and he says the reason he has that peace is because of his relationship with Jesus Christ and that there's a night and day difference from when he did not have peace and now he does have peace. And so if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Christ, I want to pray for you. We're going to pray here in a second and I want to pray for you. And as we're praying, here's all I just ask you to do. Those of you watching online, all I'm asking you to do is just simply say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I give it over to you. Take my life. Just take my life. I'm not trying to stop everything I'm doing right now. I just want to give my life over to you and let the Holy Spirit begin a work in your heart. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you this morning for your goodness, your grace, your loving kindness. I thank you, Father, that you're in this place. And Father, as we've been having this family discussion, Lord, of what it looks like for a follower of Jesus Christ to, to live what seems like to be a very hostile world towards our faith, what it looks like on how, and how we respond. And so today, Father, we want to just affirm that you're not calling us to go to war against our neighbors. You're not calling us to just give in to everything that they believe. But Father, you're calling us to live exemplary lives. That as followers of Jesus Christ, that if we, if we profess the name of Jesus Christ, that we will honor the name of Jesus Christ by the way we live. We will let go of a few things. We will chase after Jesus. And Father, for those that are here that may not have a relationship with you, Jesus. I pray, God, that you will just touch their hearts right now. May they experience your love, your grace, the peace that you want to give, Father. God, heal them of whatever tur turmoil, whatever challenges they might be experiencing right now in Jesus' name. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being with us. God bless you. You could text 97000 if you'd like to connect with us. We'd love to connect with you. Otherwise, God bless. We'll see you next week. Well, once again, thank you so much for joining online. We're so glad that each of you have decided to be a part of service. Um, if maybe at the end of the message, maybe uh, God was beginning to speak to you, and, and maybe you're giving your life to Jesus uh, and saying, hey, you know, this is the life that I want. I, I want to be a part of this, this family, be a part of this identity. Um, just let us know that. You can, you can email us at connect at lifechurchnow.org, or like he said, you can text us at life, text the word lifechurch to 97000. As well as I would say this, um, what we talked about today is that we can see our, our, our world through this lens of hope. 
we can see, and, and we have to be reminded a lot of times that our hope is found in Jesus. And so I'd encourage you that if you're not connected with a group of people, if you're not connected in a life group, to join a life group. Go to our website at, and, and go to Connect and Life Group so that you can join a group and find a group of people that are going to remind you where our hope truly comes from. We love you guys. Thank you so much for being a part of services this weekend. Hey, have a great week.